Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Our Two Cents with MBA. I'm Jackson Hathaway, Executive Vice President of Member Services, and we're glad you can join us. In this episode of the podcast, MBA President and CEO Max Cook interviews Congressman Blaine Luptemeyer, who has represented Missouri's 3rd District since 2009. Blaine has recently become the ranking member on the House Committee on Small Businesses and also serves as the ranking member on the Subcommittee for Financial Institutions and Consumer Credit. Congressman Luptemeyer has been an advocate for the financial services industry for many years. His roles on both committees will be critically important as we move through the coronavirus pandemic, but also as we move into an era in which we expect increasing regulation for banks. So please, sit back and enjoy this interview with Congressman Blaine Luptemeyer, in which he describes his priorities, as well as his perspective on the new Congress and new administration. Good morning, Congressman Luptemeyer. Thank you for being with us today. I... Um think it's been several months since we've had an opportunity to, to visit, uh, and uh, a lot has happened. Uh, we've come through a, an election period and rolled into a new session of Congress, and with that for you has come some new duties. Uh, you're uh, continuing on on financial services, uh, but also uh, now with the Small Business Committee. Tell us a little bit about uh, all these responsibilities and uh, how you're managing your time uh, with all of this. Well, thank you, Max, for having us. And good morning to you and uh, all of the uh, bankers and other uh, staff who are uh, watching this. It's great to be with you again. And uh, yeah, I was uh, asked by leadership to expand my portfolio of duties here. Um, And I told them the only way I would be willing to do this is I got to keep everything else I had. So we get to retain our seat on financial services. We get to retain the ranking membership of the financial institution subcommittee. So I'm the top Republican on there as well. Um, But yeah, I've taken on the duty of the top Republican on the small business committee. And um, it's kind of a daunting task in a way from the standpoint that half the committee is freshmen and four of the other six members are all sophomores. So I was able to get one other senior member to actually come on the committee. As uh, a guy got the name Roger Williams out of Texas, his car dealer down there, and he and I are good friends. And he wanted to come on the committee to be able to sort of help me guide all these younger members and get them educated, bring them up to speed. So there's a lot of basic duties that we have to do to bring the, the committee members up to speed on a lot of issues and uh, have to approach it a little bit differently than you would a normal uh, regular full committee, quite frankly. Um, but yeah, that you know, as we're in the minority, so um, and we although we closed the gap significantly in the election, uh, you know, we're still in the minority by a few votes. So, so this committee means I'm the ranking member of the chairman. Uh, so our duties are more to provide oversight, continue to point out problems with the administration and and uh, the rules and regulations they propose, as well as uh, work with the administration and the leadership and the small business committee where we can to try and find ways to uh, improve the small business um, agency. Um, While the small business committee's jurisdiction is pretty small, just the SBA, its purview is huge from the standpoint that it oversees anything that can happen to small businesses. So anything from taxes to healthcare to transportation to farming, anything that a small business could be engaged in is something that's fair game for us to provide oversight over, have hearings on. Excuse me. So as a result, um, our, our, our purview is huge. And so getting our members to understand that all of these things can be brought to the committee for the purposes of having a hearing. Uh, we can initiate legislation. 
Uh, obviously, if, if, it's a, if the issue that deals with taxes, it also would have to go through the Ways and Means Committee, but we can also have a hearing on it and start the legislation on our committee. So there's a lot of work to do, um, especially right now with the pandemic and obviously the PPP program goes right through small business. Uh, it goes right through my subcommittee in, uh, in uh, financial services, which is one of the reasons that they came and got me to do this. I served on small business for 10 years, dropped off last session so I could free up a seat for another junior member uh, since I already had plenty to do. And now they came back and said, we want you back on there to lead the group uh, because of your knowledge of PPP and the fact that it really meshes well with your, your activities on the financial services committee. And so we're working with the uh, SBA as well as uh, Treasury uh, to uh, work on the PPP program and uh, continue to uh, work on it, approve it, and make sure it's, uh, you know, provide the oversight for accountability, make sure it's working properly. So, um, you know, it's, there are just a lot of things right now. Um, as we go through the conversation, I'd be glad to elaborate some more, but I think there's a couple of areas where we can be very uh, helpful. Uh, one of them, quite frankly, is Regulatory Flexibility Act, which is something that says every, uh, every bureaucratic rule and regulation has to have a study done uh, to show the effects on small businesses. <clears throat> and if they don't, they can't implement the rule. And if the, if the, uh, the study shows it's going to impact the small businesses negatively, then we can really put pressure on the, on the bureaucracy to not implement the rule or make changes in the rule. So we intend to uh, have a, a very active group of folks to enforce that. We had the chamber come into our retreat last week and explain to all our members in detail how the, how the act works so we can uh, be a watchdog to prevent uh, an over-regulation of small businesses. But uh, the same thing's happening on the financial services side, so I'm sure we'll get to talk about that in a minute, but um, that's kind of an overview of where we're at. For a minute, let's talk about PPP some more. I, um... Uh, it is the focus, has been the focus uh, of our bankers for better part of a year now. Uh, I think we're in our third iteration of PPP, and um, uh, it has gone much smoother, uh, according to our bankers, not without a few hiccups here and there, but uh, much smoother than before. I'm uh, I'm curious now, though, as we look at a, a, a new package of stimulus uh, that's uh, come out of the House this last weekend uh, over in the Senate now for their consideration, do you anticipate any additional PPP uh, monies being available? Well, in the package, there's seven and a half billion or seven point two five billion, and then there's some idle money in there. There's some money for a restaurant program. Uh, there's some money in there for uh, uh, venues they call them, which are are movie theaters and other types of uh, entertainment venues, uh, which all are kind of wrapped in the the small business portion of this bill. But um, yeah, there's additional seven point two five billion in there uh, right now. There's roughly half of the money that we put back in the program uh, at the end of December that's being utilized. It's running about $2 billion a day. Um, and quite frankly, you know, it's interesting the administration in this program, uh, they've, they've tried to be able to narrow the focus so that uh, the really small businesses, 20, 20 employees and under, can have access immediately and not have to stand in line uh, to be able to access the program, which 
Uh, Max, I'm sure your banks are going to tell you that they're not waiting in line now. Um, you know, the numbers are such that almost 80% of the loans, the new loans that are made on this new tranche of money, are 10 employees or less. And I don't have any, I don't haven't heard any complaints from any bankers about the waiting lines outside their offices. I haven't heard any complaints from the uh, NFIB about the uh, the small businesses not being able to have access to the program. I think all of those things are. I think this is just a talking point. Uh, to, to make the administration and everybody else feel good about the program, which, you know, it's fine. But I think what you do is put the people who've got all the businesses who have 20 employees or, or greater kind of in a quandary here because they got to wait two weeks to go get their money, which they may or may not have been ready to access uh, because of this crazy new rule they want to put in place. But, you know, it it, it will, it, this too will show pass and they'll get past this. Um, but I think, you know, it's, it's this, overthinking over manipulation of the program by the administration at this point that concerns me but uh, I think that uh, we'll be okay in spite of them uh, it, it is you know there is a new forgiveness form in there that I know that we've talked a lot about in the past uh, that a lot of folks wanted um, you can use it on your past uh, loans if you want to as well as the new loans um, up to 150,000 so um, we've tried to incorporate some things that were asked for uh, I think the PPP program itself uh, continues to, as, as you said, Max, uh, they continue to work out the kinks. It's still not perfect. There's still a couple of things falling through the cracks in the program, if you will, but it's, it's a federal program, a government program, which they never are perfect. And this one isn't perfect either, but it, they've improved it and it's gotten better. Um, but that, that being said, they're trying to expand it right now to some things, um, some of these nonprofits, which includes Planned Parenthood, which we tried to fight against and lost the fight in committee um, uh, right now to expand to some of those folks. And they want unions to be able to access the PPP program and stuff like that. So those are all some changes that I think are not good, but, um, you know, uh, we're not in a majority. So uh, we offered amendments to take that all out and we lost all our amendments. And in fact, in the, uh, the new American Rescue Plan, they call it, we've got a different we call Pelosi payoff. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a, <laughs> I cleaned it up. There's a whole lot of other words, <laughs> other names for the program, by the way. But, um, you know, we had over like 280 some amendments and we got two in there and he actually took one of them out. And so we actually in the whole program that left the house had one amendment. So, you know, the partisanship is, is beyond description right now. Uh, they won't even consider anything. Um, you know, the PP program, the PP, or the restaurant program here that's part of this small business package, uh, which is $25 billion. You know, I did a quick uh, back of the envelope analysis on it and showed that it was underfunded by about 50% and said, you know, guys, this it's great to set up this program, but you've underfunded. You're, you're going to be, you know, half the people that want it are going to be able to utilize it because you're not, you're not going to have no money in it. So why don't we put some money in to begin here and stop playing games with the rest of this money? And so I offered amendment to do that. And of course, it didn't go anywhere. But, um, you know, common sense around here is in short supply and really non-existent on the other side of the aisle. So we deal with that every day. So with respect to uh, the monies that will be available for the restaurant industry, for travel and leisure industry and so forth, who's going to administer those funds? Are the bankers going to be doing that? Is it going to be through... SBA lenders, or is it a direct program? How is that going to unfold? Well, I think it, it's very similar to your your other idle grants. 
you know, you, you work through the banks and they go through SBA, but it's a grant. This restaurant program is a grant. You can get up to $5 million on a mom and pop. Um, and you still qualify like you would for a PPP program based on your revenues, but you can get up to $5 million for a mom and pop restaurant and you can go up to 10 million for chain restaurants. So, um, but again, and as you can see just by the five and, and a million and 10 million that this could, this could amount to a lot of dollars very quickly. And, you know, the restaurant industry has, you know, been the, probably the most decimated of any industry in our country, uh, short of other travel and leisures and hotels and airlines, stuff like that. I mean, that, that whole group of, of uh, that industry is just, those industries are being, you know, devastated. And so I think one in six restaurants right now have already gone under and uh, probably more uh, on the way here shortly. But uh, yeah, I, you know, you just look at the numbers of restaurants and you multiply that by, some of the numbers you have here, this doesn't compute. I mean, it doesn't take uh, the bankers in the audience today, Max, could figure this out pretty quickly. This is way underfunded. Well, let's um, keep our fingers crossed that maybe something more positive will come out of the Senate version. I, um, uh, I'm curious about um, a number of things with respect to priorities. Uh, for both financial services committee and small business uh, looking forward through this year and maybe even the next what are the things that that you're hopeful that can get done uh, in the respective committees well Maxine has taken a very partisan approach in financial services and it's due mostly to uh, ALC and two other squad members sit on our committee um, as a result, uh, they kind of push her farther to the left than what she already is, which is way over there. Uh, so as a result, she uh, is very, very reluctant to give us any sort of uh, bill unless it's a really, really, uh, you know, a suspension bill, which is what they call a non-controversial bill that, you know, or, or it doesn't, doesn't do anything. She, in fact, she has to give us a few of those. But other than that, there, there is no reaching across the aisle to try and do anything that addresses what we believe are concerns. Uh, so, so what do we do? I think we have to continue to provide oversight. Um, one of the things that I was alluding to earlier is the executive orders coming out of the administration. And I did an op-ed the other day, it's EO versus EO. It's economic uh, or ex executive orders versus the economic opportunity. And uh, the administration is going to kill us with executive orders here. Um, they're already taken, you know, a, a new stance of, of just inundating everybody with these executive orders. And there's two in particular that are very, very concerning to the financial services folks, in my mind. Number one, um, you know, the rules and regulations uh, are, are where, uh, you know, that's the fine print that always gets us in trouble. It always empowers the bureaucracy. And that's what you as bankers always fight. Um, you know, what, what Trump did, he came in and said, we're going to take two rows off for every one that we put on. And he wound up, uh, according to one of the local papers here in town, almost eight to one. So I think his administration said five and a half to six to one. So anyway, it was significantly more than that. First thing Biden comes in to do is get rid of that. So therefore, they're going to try and they're not going to adhere to anything. They're going to rule. They're going to put as many rules on the books as they can. The second one is guidance, which should send a chill down the spine of every banker. Uh, we worked really hard and forced FSOC, uh, which is which is the board, the governing board for all of the uh, financial regulators, to agree among themselves that they were not going to enforce guidance. This was a huge, huge accomplishment. 
And then the Trump administration went out and had an executive order that said across our entire administration, we're not going to enforce guidance. Well, that was that was like the coup de grace. I mean, we actually got them to admit that they're not going to do this and relieve the concern for, for the financial services folks, as well as everybody else across the board, of no longer having to fear guidance. Well, the first thing that Biden does is one of his first 15 or 20 executive orders is to rescind that executive order about guidance. Um, you know, and, and we've already got uh, the CFPB, which is the main culprit on this. Uh, they've, they're, they're ramping up, they're hiring every attorney they can find that's loose out there that's got a law degree or hanging or some kind of shingle hanging on his wall. And so they're ramping up to get ready to go after everybody. Um, the other part of this that's um, that, that's that's con- that, you know, we had we had uh, Powell in front of us last week in our committee, and I I asked him the question, uh, you know, with regards to this very this very situation, and I, I said, Mr. Chairman, you know, we fought very hard and worked very closely with you to get this guidance situation resolved, and at the FSOC level across the board, you guys said you were no longer going to enforce guidance. And now that's been rescinded. Where do you stand on this issue? Because it's of extreme importance to my banks, my credit unions, all the people in the financial services world about how this is going to be regulated. And he said, well, we're still going to adhere to that. Uh, We still believe that's good policy. Uh, We're still going to uh, not enforce guidance. And we believe most of our other regulators will do the same. Well, that's fine. Um, So far, so good. Well, but we're going to have to watch him. And I think that's as, as members of the Financial Services Committee, that will be what we need to be doing is watching the bureaucracy because I don't think Maxine's going to let us do many, many things with regards to legislation. Um, you know, for the, this two-year period here, Pelosi and Schumer and Biden see an opportunity to ram everything down our throats they can, which means it's going to be a very, very partisan, very left-wing agenda, and they don't need us for anything. So therefore, we are wallflowers. We are irrelevant. And they are telling us that. And if you look at their schedule of, of, of what they're running right now, uh, the Equality Act that we, we that they passed yesterday, which basically allows, uh, you know, transgenders in sports. They've got the uh, HR1, which is the election bill that's coming up today, uh, which in that bill, uh, it allows congressmen like myself to be able to get a six to one match for every small dollar donation up to $7.2 million. This is how they're going to pay for their campaigns in the future. Um, also in this, uh, in this uh, other, the, 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 the big package, they took out, there's a little clause that nobody ever thought about watching, but I learned about it yesterday. Is that they took, you know, we there's we have something in place that prohibits the IRS from censoring different groups based on political affiliation. They took that out, which means now they can weaponize the IRS against conservatives. Um, you know, so they're not even hiding this stuff anymore. They're just out there throwing it out there as quickly and as fast as they can. In fact, right now they 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 say that they're they're bringing all the bills immediately to the floor, not even going through committee. Um, so. You know, from the standpoint of Maxine, our committee having impact on this stuff, it's irrelevant because they don't even bring stuff through our committee right now. They bring it directly to the floor, at least through the first of April. And so they're trying to run as much stuff as they can, as quickly as they can, while I've got while I've got the reins. And it's just, it's amazing to watch. American people should be screaming about this and be very concerned. I don't care what side of the fence you're on. Um, our system of government was set up the way it was, and it's a bit inefficient on purpose. Uh, it creates checks and balances. And uh, 
they're bypassing that, it sounds like. Yeah. So um, um, I want to, oh, it, before I do that, um, the Small Business Committee. Um, what is happening to SBA? Are they getting more funding? They were never built to take on the scope of activity that they're having to take on right now. And I, I actually have to throw them a, a, a bit of, of congratulations and trying to drink through the fire hose uh, through all of this. Is, is there anything to help uh, beef them up a little bit and um, bring them up to speed technology-wise and so forth? That's a great point, Max. Uh, yeah, they they were able to get through in 14 days what they normally had done in 14 years uh, when they first got the program up and running. And yeah, we have uh, given them more money and and helped their technology um, ability with some uh, additional funding. Um, probably not enough yet, but um, yeah, we're that's something we need to continue to watch and be helpful with. Um, uh, you know, I, I always make the point that this, you know, PPP, for instance, is a treasury program. It's not an SBA program. The SBA is just um, the guarantor of the, those things, and the and the banks are actually the executors of the program. So, um, the, the the treasury designs it, and they put SBA in the middle of it. Took their rules and and try to fiddle with them and try to put a square pig in a round hole sometime. But um, SBA through their their processes have done. They've done yeoman's work, quite frankly, uh, all things considered. I mean, they, they but yeah, they're, we've, we've increased their dollars um, and some dollars for technology as well. Probably need to do more, though. Well, speaking of dollars, uh, one of the things that I think catches my eye and ear, as well as the bankers, um, is the mounting debt that our country is um, stacking up. And here we are looking at another $1.9 trillion package uh, on top of any just general operating deficit that we may have in our, in our normal budget. Um, we've always said if we ever got to 100% of GDP, our debt ever got to be 100% of GDP, we'd be in trouble. I think now we're somewhere around 110 to 20% in that range. Can we keep on at this pace? I mean, I worry about inflation. Of course, I worry about repaying the debt. I worry about interest rates. There's just a, a lot of bad outcomes that can come from this mounting debt. What are your thoughts there? That's a great question. And I, you know, I, I, We've always been concerned about it, and and you know, quite frankly, uh, we had this discussion with the president one time in a, in a small group, and uh, he was trying to get us to support one of the other budget bills. And he said, "Look," he said, "We, when I came in, I had three, had well, actually four priorities. Priority number one is to get the Defense Department built up and get it back to where we could defend our country. Number two is get our economy going, so we had the ability to grow our economy." And actually have revenue so we could actually pay down debt or pay our bills. And the third thing was to do is get our our inter, our, our, our debt under control. And then the fourth thing was get healthcare fixed. And so at that point, it was right before the pandemic hit. And he said, "What I want to do in my next term is to get the debt under control. To get the first two pretty well whipped, 
and therefore uh, we need to start looking at our debt. And then the pandemic hit. Um, I can look at the pandemic as, and you guys are all bankers who are watching this this, this morning or this afternoon, whenever you're, you're catching on here. Um, you know, whenever you have somebody who's had an unfortunate accident, you know, they break a leg, can't go to work. Uh, what happens? You know, they're an hourly worker. They come knocking on your door and they sit across from you and or their, their spouse does and say, hey, you know, my husband or my wife or whoever the breadwinner is, is no longer able to go to work for about, you know, a couple months here. So we need to have some short term loans. And so you'll loan them some money to get them over the hump. And then when they get back to work, well, they do. They start paying it down. Well, that's kind of the way we needed to be viewing, I think, the pandemic situation. We needed to, to shore up ourselves, make sure we didn't collapse the entire economy uh, and, and really prop up the rest of the world while we're doing it. And when we when we sneeze, everybody else in the world catches a cold. So we've got to be very careful that we don't allow ourselves to go so far down that we drag our belts with us and then when the whole thing collapses. But that being said, um, we never do the next part, which is pay it back and start paying it down. And once we get that debt on a book, it stays there. And that's our biggest problem is that we don't, um, in my mind, follow through on this next part, which is if you're in a, in a normal household situation, you will take care of. And so this is the part that's very concerning to me. And and you can argue that some of these, these pandemic bills were a little bloated, and they were, but you have to understand that we didn't have control of the House. The Democrats had control of the House. That meant that uh, Speaker Pelosi was at the table. In order to get her to go along and her members to go along to pass the bill through the House, they had to give in on a few things. And so that's why you wind up with a few things in there that shouldn't have been in there, a few things that were bloated because you had to give in to, uh, to them to be able to get the whole package through. Now they're in total charge, and you can see what we actually were up against. This last package we passed back in December, they wanted, you know, Pelosi started at a four trillion, then she started at 2.2 trillion, and we got her down to 900 billion. Now you can see when they're in charge, they want a whole 1.9 trillion dollars, of which huge chunks of 350 to 500 billion dollars are to pay blue states for the mismanagement. There's only nine percent of this bill that actually goes to fixing the COVID problem. Um, the rest of it is all um, peripheral stuff that doesn't doesn't amount to anything. So um, it is a problem, Max. Uh, that's a long answer to your short question, but I think. You know, we as a society um, are going to have to get past the pandemic, and then we're going to have to make some tough choices. We got the wrong people in charge to make to make the tough choices. I'm not sure Republicans are capable of making tough choices either, but I think we can we can balance the budget better, or, or than what they can. Although we're, we're we've still got our own you know problems on our side. Uh, but you bring up some good points there. What about inflation? What about interest rates? Where are they going to go with all this? extra money floating around. And I think there's there's a number, I was reading this morning in the Wall Street Journal, there's a, a, a real good discussion uh, about inflation and interest rates in the Wall Street this morning. And so there's economists on both sides of it. Uh, my personal opinion is I don't think you're going to see um, inflation rates go up for quite a while. The Fed is intent on keeping them low. And that's a good thing with the amount of debt we have. Otherwise, uh, interest rates will, will suck a huge part of our budget out again if the rates go up. Um, but I think interest, uh, inflation will be minimal for a long time. Um, uh, the, the, the economy is poised to grow, but I think it's going to grow at a, at a fairly uh, even pace. Even with we, once we get the pandemic behind us, there still is going to be reluctance on some people to engage. And so I think 
Uh, our economy is going to grow. I think it's going to be doing well very shortly. Uh, by midsummer, I think for sure. There's some act, there's some uh, doctors that uh, look at this and say by end of April we should have enough uh, herd immunity here to be able to get everybody back to work and everything open. And I was reading the paper yesterday. The Cardinals think that they'll be able to be uh, by you know open their stadium up to everybody by mid uh, July. And I think that's probably a pretty good realistic uh, place to go. If you stop and think about where we've come in two months since we didn't, we just started shooting, giving people vaccine vaccinations at the end of December, and here we are now, basically first of uh, of March, basically for two months, ten weeks here, and we've come a long way. We're doing about 1.8 million shots a day. Um, so I, I think that inflation is is uh, is probably not going to be a problem. Uh, interest rates, I think, are going to keep that low as well. Um, if anything, you'll see inflation after we see the, the the economy start picking up a little bit. There's all this money floating around, but uh, we'll see. Well, I hope we can get our arms around it. Uh, the, la- the last concern I have with respect to that debt is the uh, likely uh, likelihood of of the administration and the Democrats seeking tax increases. You're up there on the Hill. Are you hearing anything on that front? And if so, any details starting to percolate? Yeah, Bernie Sanders is out there with his let's tax the millionaires uh, uh, monologue going on. I mean, he's, he's, he talks to anybody listen to him about that. Um, you know, the Democrats are trying to run the table with the reconciliation process. Reconciliation means you only need 51 votes in the Senate. You don't, it takes 60 votes to do anything over there normally. Uh, it takes 60 votes to get a bill out of committee. And if they don't have 60 votes, it, it dies in committee. And so, but this is one process they can use to get this done. And this is why they're throwing everything they can, including the kitchen sink in this bill. But it's uh, this reconciliation bill, but it's very narrow. You can only do certain things that have uh, something to do with revenue in a rec- reconciliation bill. And they didn't do taxes now uh, because it would have been um, another, I don't know, they, they've, got to, they've got a problem with their, in their own caucus on taxes. Uh, but they're trying to, they're talking about doing it in this fall uh, in the next reconciliation package. And uh, we'll see what happens. Um, they're going to have to structure it so that it's uh, you know, pretty minimal uh, and it's very targeted because they've, they've, got a, they've got a few people on their side out in the Senate that are not willing to go along with huge tax increases. So uh, we'll see, but that's their plan right now. Uh, Bernie wants a whole lot, and the rest of them are looking at targeted tax increases probably in the package this fall. All right. Well, Congressman, I think uh, our time is just about done uh, for the day, but you may have uh, one or two things you still would like to comment on. And let me just turn it back to you and then we'll wrap it up. Well, Max, I think we just want to thank you and all of the bankers who are watching the call for all our continued support. And again, if you have issues, just let us know. Um, even with the small business uh, and the PPP ones now, um, you know, I set up a new staff on the small business committee and I, they're, they're should be very responsive. I know Max has had some, uh, you Max have had some interaction with them and they seem to be doing a good job of, of getting back to you. And uh, so if we can be helpful in that regard, uh, don't, you know, don't hesitate to give us a call because uh, I know that's where a lot of questions are right now. 
Uh, with regards to the other financial services stuff, um, I think we need to be watching and, and listening to administration's uh, rules and regulations. You know, one of the, our top issues is greening of the financial services world. And what they're doing is dredging up the old choke point way of going about doing business where they intimidate the banks and no longer um, uh, using the business model and how they lend to certain folks in their in, the, in, in certain industries in their area, especially if it's uh, in, with regards to energy, because uh, they want to try and run fossil fuels out, whether it's oil or gas or coal or whatever. So, uh, and they're going to use the old choke point model. I mean, they've, they've already indicated that's what they're going to do. So, uh, if you see or if, you're, if your regulators start trying to push you real hard on stuff like that, let me know. Uh, we still have a friend at the FDIC from the standpoint, uh, McWilliams, is somebody you can talk to. She is uh, she's a tough regulator, but she's a fair regulator. She's not there to allow the choke point stuff to continue. She's not going to let that guidance stuff continue. So fortunately, her term doesn't run out till 23. So we can we can use her as a sort of a, a wall to stop the nonsense for a couple of years here until we can hopefully get the house back in 22. Um, we may be able to ride this storm out. Otherwise, there is a storm brewing with regards to the regulators coming to tell you how to manage your banks again. And we've got to make sure, um, and I, I, again, I, I targeted Chairman um, uh, Powell on that last week as well, that same question. You know, we, 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 can't, we can't be doing this and upsetting the business models and the, the various industries uh, within these communities uh, for something that's, you know, um, basically a whim at this point. Uh, so let's let's be let's know what's going on here. So that that to me is, is something we need to be watchful for. And please let me know if you run into those problems. Um, let me know if you get some regulators that are overbearing on that sort of issue. Try to choke point some of your customers uh, because, quite frankly, we at this point we still have a few folks in those regulatory positions at the top that we can actually talk to and work with and are very sympathetic to our position of trying to push back on choke point. Well, uh, we're very appreciative of your continual communication with those regulators. And for our audience, I might add that uh, Chairman McWilliams has agreed to speak at our convention in July, and she'll be joined by Sultan Meiji, uh, who is the new technology guru for the FDIC. He is a Missouri guy and a good friend and uh, he'll be a good friend to the banking industry. So I encourage everybody to watch for that. Congressman, I want to thank you uh, for all of your help to our industry. I also want to thank you for being with us today. You're a, a great friend and a great patriot, and we appreciate you so much. Thank you. Very much, Mac. Appreciate your kind words, and I always look forward to our discussions and uh, along with some banker friends. Take care.